The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. That we as the people of God here in South Winnipeg uh, have an opportunity to pursue God in a way that a rural church family is not going to pursue God the same, the, 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 the outcome is not going to be the same, the, the plan isn't going to be the same, the missional living isn't going to be the same as the downtown core or the rural ministries or us in the suburb, suburbs of Winnipeg and Um, But we're all looking for that, aren't we? We're all looking to be led by God, to have more uh, uh, impact, kingdom footprint in in the world for Jesus' sake. And uh, we had a a few of our own um, missional moments, I could say, this past week. And uh, I think that it's it's an act of devotion whenever we step out to to follow God and... and, um, one of the missional moments this past week was uh, with the staff of the White Ridge Child Care uh, downstairs that meets all week long. And our staff, we, we have about every three months, we have an opportunity to meet with them and just share. And it occurred to us recently that the, the relationship that began four years ago is, is uh, everybody downstairs, is, there's been a turnover of staff and that they, they don't know, not just do, not, do, not, do they not know maybe about the agreement that was, was planned, but, but they don't even know the story. Stories are what we live by, aren't they? They don't know the story of how it got started. And, and um, so, so we shared with them the story. Mel Penner being at a meeting with the White Ridge Elementary School and a parent... Uh, discussing there the, the absolute desperate need in the community for child care and before and after and so on. And somebody looking right at Mel and saying, well, what are you church? What are your church? Why, don't, why doesn't your church do something? And she just felt that was from God and she brought that to us and, and uh, we began to pray about it and it led to a committee that looked into the investigating of beginning a program and we realized that that God was, was leading us to maybe partner with an organization that, that is downstairs leading that since then. And um, we had the chance to share the, the book that Mel's blog was formed into as well and, and shared it with them. And, you know, it's all about that relationship of ministry with them. And um, we, we haven't had an easy relationship at times. It's not been like it's been... Uh, easy to adjust some of our programming, like the Growing in Grace group that met this past Thursday, and the White Ridge Child Care has to roll back their stuff, and we have a window of time to set up the tables and get it ready, and there's sacrifices on both sides, but it, we make it work. We don't make it work for 1200 or whatever it is, dollars a month. That's not why we make it work. We make it work because of the relationship. We make it work because we believe that that we, we want to make the relationships expand in our community and in this place. And we believe, like Rick Rousseau and Eric Swanson wrote in their book called The Externally Focused Church, we believe that, that sharing Jesus Christ with those people is our ultimate motive, but it is not our ulterior motive for anything we do. That's a very important distinction, I think. We do things like offer childcare in our building and it's not an ulterior motive. It's, it's, it's up front. Our ultimate motive, though, is to share Jesus. And so in, in that same venue, last, this past Tuesday, we, 
we told them our, our goals. We want you to know Jesus Christ. We were unashamed of the gospel, of what we believe. But we're not pushy with the gospel either. We believe that the Holy Spirit works in hearts. I read recently by John Eldridge that, that re rescuing the human heart is the hardest mission in the world. Rescuing the human heart is the hardest mission in the world. Indeed it is. It, the human heart is a idol-making factory. That's what uh, Os Guinness wrote. The, the human heart is an idol-making factory. If it's not going to be one thing that's plugged into adore and worship in the human heart, it will be something else. We were created to worship the living God. But the human heart is, is the hardest search and rescue mission that is on the earth. And, and if we're not about that, what are we about? And if we're going to do that, how can we do it if we're not in relationship with people? And so we, are, we sat with the White Ridge Child Care people, and we, we had a great time of sharing. We weren't pushy about our beliefs, but we were clear about what we believe and why we believe it and why we want relationship. And then on Wednesday, we had English conversation circles, this term of, of uh, eight weeks, and and we had 17 immigrants, and we had nine of their children, and we had 11 of us. And uh, we shared around tables. And this term, as we prayed and thought about it in the last few months, we've, we've decided that we would not only offer a beginner table where we, some folks can learn beginner English and carry on in that venue, but also a conversation. Uh, and then thirdly, we decided we would offer a Bible study table or two. And... Uh, Rosalie just said, let's, let's have a show of hands. Who's interested in what? I was a little surprised. Seven of them put up their hands for the Bible study. And uh, we gave them all a New Testament. We uh, had to run up and get more, I think, in the office. Uh, there was, uh, everybody wanted one. Um, and so we pray for us as we study the Gospel of Mark starting this Wednesday. We're unapologetic. This is who we are. This is what we do. We want you to know Jesus. But you know what? If, if all you want to do is learn English, we'll do that with you too. We'll, we'll just learn English. We'll just offer childcare. That's fine. It's a need you have. We want to do that. It's not, all our, it's not an ulterior motive. Oh yeah, we're going to sneak in the gospel. Song. No, if you don't want to hear the gospel, that's fine. We want to love you. We want to be in relationship. A year ago, our church family decided that we would increase the budget of our operating year budget by one full salary on the brink of getting ready to, to build. I thought to myself, oh man, this is a, this is a deal breaker. And you, you folks decided you wanted to go ahead with that. And by the grace of God, we, we found Kevin and Jill Schuler. And I love, I love hearing them report, and Krista Wynn, I love hearing them report about what happens on Monday nights or Wednesday nights and through the week and in events and stuff. And guess what? We, we called them because we wanted our children and our youth and our young adults ministered to, absolutely. But we didn't just call them because our children, our youth, and our young adults need ministry. We called them because almost every week I hear about friends of theirs that are coming 
or that are being visited or that are going to some of the events. And, and it's about them too, isn't it? See, what is my point in all of this? My point in all of this is that, that if, if what we do, whether it is building a building or calling another staff member or, or having English circles or having a daycare, whatever we do, if, if it's not about more than us, if it's not about God's kingdom, if it's not about being missional in our, in our bent, in our trajectory, in our heart, in our prayer, then what is it about? Like, honestly, let's not build a building if it's just about us because it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to require sacrifice. Let's not look at church planting or reaching out or doing anything. If it's just about us, I don't think we should be doing anything more. But I believe it's way more than about us, and I believe that by the glory and grace of God, He's calling us to expand what we were called to be about doing, and, and I believe He's going to do great things. And I say, if, if God's leading us, then let's not hold back. Let's go in with our full, full energies, and let's see, what is it that in this season, in this generation of life, God has for us? It's incredible to think about. You know, someone said that the church is the only organization on earth that exists for its non-members. It's true. I mean, God, God is, is up in heaven waiting. He knows the day when he's going to send his son back, Jesus. And he's coming back and he's going to gather the church. Who is the church? His, his called out ones, his people. And, and he's waiting He's waiting only because that full number has not been resolved yet. There's more people in the city of Winnipeg and in White Ridge and in this world that yet need to know Jesus. And, and when he comes, it's going to be because they've come to know him. And we have purposes to fulfill. There's a whole bunch of more worshipers that are not lit up yet to worship the living God. They're worshiping other idols. And so that's what it's about. And, uh, man, I, I believe that God wants us in relationship. It's not going to happen. I, we're not going to have an influence, are we? If you don't know your neighbors, if you, if you don't open up the conversation at work to talk about Jesus. I heard a story recently about, I'm going to get the story mixed up because I'm terrible at this when I don't write it down beforehand, but I, I just remember hearing the story this past week. Somebody, if you're there, tell me the story, you know. And they told me about someone who had been working in a place for years. I think, I forget, it was 15, 20 years. And, and um, they had a, an occasion to share finally, I think on departure or something, about the Lord. And they found out that someone else in the office they worked closely with was a believer as well. That for, for that many years, they were working side by side. They didn't even know that each other was a believer in Jesus. They could have been praying for the office together or whatever. We heard a LifeWay statistic recently that said that 98% of Christians do not talk about their faith with other people. And you know, probably you know that because how many times have you been talked to about Jesus when you're out and about in the world? <laughs> I'm getting off track here. Maybe not. At the end of the message today, we're going to be having a a group of our board come up here and, and lead in prayer for our church, for our ministry. And, um, and we're going to ask you to lead in prayer too from where you're sitting. Just if any of you feel led, stand up and pray. 
But before we do that, we want to look at another season of prayer that's very important, and you're going to find it in your Bibles in 1 Kings. So would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings and chapter 8? We've been studying 1 Kings this fall, <clears throat> and we're at this point in chapter 8 where we're pausing because it's where de the dedication of Solomon's temple is taking place. And uh, last week we talked about the word glory. We talked about how the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And we talked about two things. We, had, we talked about what occurred before the glory of the Lord filled the temple and what occurred after the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And before the glory of God filled the temple, there was all the, the holy furnishings put in their place. We talked about how that's just getting our lives in order with the right priorities. And we talked about how the second thing was that the glory of the Lord did not fill the temple until the priests left or withdrew from the holy place. And we talked about the fact that, that that is a picture of us deciding that we cannot be on the center stage of our own lives or neither can any leader or person be at the center stage of the church of Jesus Christ. That if the glory of the Lord is going to fill His church, then all of us have to step back in humility and there's only room for one God, one on the throne and that's Jesus Christ. And that's how the glory of God comes upon his people. And then after the glory of the Lord came upon the temple in Solomon's day, we read about the fact that they couldn't go about their business. They, the priests could not do their work. They were, they were trying to clean up the sacrificial blood. They were trying to do the cleansings and the washings and all. They couldn't do a thing because the glory of the Lord was like a cloud heavy upon them. And they had to just worship. And business could not continue as usual. And that's what we decided last week. If the glory of the Lord comes upon us in that intensity, we'll know because we just won't be able to do business as usual. And I shared with you last week that I can count on, my, I can count on one hand only. I don't need my other hand. I can count on one hand only in my lifetime that I have felt that I've been in the glory and presence of God. And it fell and it was thick. And it is so sweet. And it leaves your, your, your mouth wanting nothing else but that taste of the glory of God. And so now as that has, ha has occurred... Solomon then turns to the people of Israel and he's about to pray. And I think the Lord has something to teach us about prayer in Solomon's prayer. And so would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8 and we're going to begin with verse 22 and we'll just read to verse 30. And would you stand with me if you're able to and join as I read God's word to us. 1 Kings 8, 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel. He spread out his hands toward heaven and he said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. 
Now, Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel if only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And now, O God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. And yet, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. May God bless his word. You may be seated. You'll notice in the sermon insert in your bulletin, that little green piece of paper, that there are three things that I'd like us to learn from Solomon's prayer. And I want us to ask ourselves as we go through this text, how is my prayer life? Ask yourself that individually. And then we could ask ourselves together collectively, how how are we at, at praying in this manner? The first thing I'd like to say is that we learn from this prayer that prayer is a response to God, praying up the promises of God because His Word is true. Prayer is initially a response to God. It is a response to two things, at least in this passage. It is a response to His covenant love, and it is a response to His his Word and the truth or the promises of His Word. I just picked up a book recently. I've started to read. I try to read a book on prayer about every year or so. And this one's by uh, Timothy Keller. And Timothy Keller says this in his definition of prayer. He says, prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. Prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. That's exactly what we see happening here in this passage with Solomon. Solomon has learned something about God. And in response to his knowledge of God, he responds by saying, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you. That's what he's learned. He's learned that there's no God like God. And and how is it? What is the feature that makes God like God and like no other God? He says, there's no God like you because you actually keep your promises. You are a covenant-keeping, loving God, and when you say something with your mouth, your hand will fulfill it. That's what God is like. So here is is Solomon ushered into prayer as a response to the knowledge of God. He is now personally communicating back to God. That's what prayer is. And so if you're in a state of life where everything informing your brain is not informing you at one iota about the living God, you won't likely have much of a prayer life, will you? But if you open up His Word and if you listen to Christian music and if you, um, you know, read good books and if you listen to other Christians and their testimony and fellowship and pray with other believers, you're going to get informed about the knowledge of God and you're going to have an increase in your prayer life. 
And so he, he learns something about God. He says, you're, you're a God that keeps, keeps his promises. You're not like other gods. Now, where have you heard the word covenant and promise used together in the same sentence before? Give it out to me. Weddings, I heard someone say. Yes, weddings. That's what we talk about. A wedding is, is, is a covenant being made. The Christian marriage is actually patterned after this very love that Solomon is praying about, God's covenant love. And we call Christian marriage a covenant as opposed to a contract because in a contract, both parties have certain criteria that are supposed to be met. And in a contract, when a grievance occurs in a contract, someone doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, the agreement, then that nullifies the other person to have to hold up their end of the agreement. And so the whole thing can just fall apart very quickly because contracts are like that. Covenants are not like that. A covenant is... Not like that because covenant by its very essence and its nature is built on the character of God. And the character of God, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, is he's an unchanging God. He is immutable. He is not changing ever. We are these creatures that need to change. He is the unchanging God. And therefore, our marriage is built on covenant love. I'm so glad that God is an unchanging God that keeps his covenant because I know I'm not, I regularly fall down on my side of, of the covenant with God. I regularly fail him in his lordship over me. Jesus, Jesus stood before God the Father and me beside him, you and I, the church beside him. And he said, I, Jesus, Take the church to be my bride. Put your name in there. <laughs> to have and to hold from this day forward. Better for worse, richer, poor, sickness, health. To love and to cherish. I forget the last part. Because after death, <laughs> it just goes on. Covenant love. And he, and he did that knowing what we were going to be like. Knowing that we would be unfaithful, we would fail him in our covenant side. And then Jesus went to the cross, and you know what he did on the cross? He ratified the covenant. He underlined in red with his blood every line of the covenant that God has made with sinners through Jesus Christ. And God looks now upon you and I and says, you are accepted in the beloved. Incredible. Incredible. What love, what covenant love we have been given. Prayer is a response to this covenant love. Prayer is a response to this, the promises of God. I haven't counted them. This book is full of them. All the promises of God. I was looking up various passages this past week, and we don't have time to talk about them, but one verse I will share with you that sums all of them up. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. I love this verse. Paul is saying, uh, you know, Paul often is just 
reaching for language that can convey the immensity of God and His ways. And he says that no matter how many promises God has made, I have no idea how many He made. I don't know if we've all taken time to count them, but no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus. And then it says, and therefore the amen is spoken to the glory of God. Amen? I mean, what makes us say amen? It's a response to something. It should make us to say amen when, when we realize that every promise that God has ever made goes right to you as a follower of Jesus Christ because you are accepted in the beloved. You are part of the bride of Christ. You are the, the church of the living God. And Jesus said, guess what? I am going to fulfill my covenant fully. And every promise that God has made is yes to you. That's incredible. What have we to fear? Honestly, what have we to fear ever? I can think of Martin Luther's hymn, The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. Wow. You might be discouraged this morning. You might be disillusioned on this plane of horizontal living, you might have been, you might have people that haven't kept their promises with you. I want you to get your eyes on the Lord. I want you to, I want to encourage you to look upward to the God that keeps his covenant love and will never, never, ever fail. Second thing I learned, we learned from Solomon's prayer here is that he prayed in the presence of God. Now, you might say, well, don't we always pray in the presence of God? He's omnipresent, so wherever, whatever, you know, he's there. Yes, that's true. But I think what Solomon really is trying to underline in, in the way he prays and the language he uses is that he is aware consciously of the presence of God. So, so do we consciously make ourselves aware of the presence of God. And here we get onto kind of a little bit more of a subjective experiential ground because our experiences of God are not the same. And we know that. I mean, Apostle Paul, I remember when he, when he talked in 2 Corinthians about um, being given this thorn in the flesh because of the incredible revelations that God gave him, the experience that God gave him, and to keep him from becoming conceited about this incredible experience with God. Now, you can read your Bible at home or here. You can sing songs of worship at home or here. You can pray at home or here. And it will be one of two experiences. The one experience, if your heart and your mind and your will and your spirit is unengaged, it will be one experience that will be of no value to your soul. And then there's another experience of reading the Bible or worshiping in song or, or praying, and it will be an experience that will be absolutely transformative for your soul if your mind and your heart and your will and your spirit are engaged because you are conscious of the presence of God. Now, what does that look like? I can't describe that to you, and I don't think you can describe it to me. When I stand here and worship with you, I like to close my eyes because I don't want any distractions on me. 
because I'm, I'm, I have to work it. It doesn't come easy for me to be conscious of the presence of God in this room with us. You have to work at that. Sometimes it's easier than other times when the glory of God falls, but, but for the most part, there are all kinds of distractions that come into your mind and heart, and you have to work at it. What does it mean? I kind of know what it means for me. I can't really put it in words when I am conscious of God. And then I can tell you that there are times when I pray and read and worship, and I'm not even thinking. He, I'm not conscious of him at all. What do we see in the scripture? In this passage, we see Solomon, and he prays in the presence of God. It says in verse 27, will God really dwell on earth? Well, probably in his mind, he goes back to Exodus 25, and he thinks, well, God promised he would dwell on earth, so I guess I should pray in response to the promises of God. And he goes on in verse 29, he says, God, God, you promised, so let your eyes be open to this place night and day. And in verse 30, hear the supplications of your servant. Eastern meditation will tell you to empty your mind. Christian and biblical meditation never tells you that. It always tells you to fill your mind, be aware of the conscious presence of God, be aware of the truth of God, be aware of the reality of God. That's Christian meditation. where we voluntarily, consciously are aware of God. He sees, he listens, he forgives. Listen, all the verbiage in this passage is incredible. He sees, he hears, he listens, he answers, he forgives, he acts. A couple of weeks ago, Gordon Stork, our regional minister that just passed away, had organized a day of prayer for pastors in our association at Camp Nudemick. And I was supposed to pick up Pastor Doug, and I was running a little late, and I was, was driving with the car, truck out of, the, out of Waverly Heights, trying to get on to Waverly. And the traffic was coming by, and I waited, and I waited, and there was one guy ahead of me, and finally there was a break in the traffic, enough to get at least him in, if not me. But the guy didn't, hardly, he didn't move. And I, and I was just about to lay on the horn when I noticed his license plate. These Christians with their license plates. <laughs> At least they warn us who's in the car, right? It was 1 Pete 5 7. I hope you're not, hope you're not here this morning. <laughs> Never occurred to me. <laughs> That's mine! <laughs> and as soon as I saw it, I knew. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. And here I am going to a day of prayer <laughs> with road rage in my heart. And I bet you you've gotten up to go to church and you've said, shut up, we're going to church <laughs> to the kids, right? Yeah. As we get, to the, we get there and Pastor Gordon Stork has a page in. He's given us, if we haven't got our own meditation, he's got a page of mostly psalms and all these. And, and this, the word that was in all the passages was the word soul. And my soul thirsts for you. My soul hungers for you. And, and, it, and he restores my soul. And I needed that that day. 
I needed to get out of life that was just so distracted, and I needed to have more sustained time to get myself in the conscious presence of God to know that he really does, he really does, he really does listen to prayer. Exodus 3, God says through Moses, he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying, and I'm concerned about their suffering. I've come down. Look at all the verbs. I've seen them. I've heard them. I've, I'm concerned about them. I'm coming down. And in the famous passage on prayer in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, which is parallel to the events of 1 Kings 8, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. He really is a God-answering, promise-keeping God-answering prayer. God. Prayer-answering God. And the New Testament teaches us that his, his eyes are attentive to us. We're the temple of the living God that his ears are attentive to us. Can you imagine the living God, night and day, is just waiting for one of us, his creatures, to just wake up and say, oh, oh, oh God, and start to pray. He might wake you in the middle of the night. He's, he's up, he's, he's, he's attentive. His eyes are attentive, his ears are listening toward you, the temple, the living God. He's waiting. What a privilege we have. Well, the last part of this prayer is actually about half of it. It's all petition. And um, there's seven parts to it. And you'll notice that I have used the uh, outline of Philip Ryken in his commentary. And he just gives a name for each of the seven of the petitions. There's a, a petition for justice and rescue and provision and deliverance and outsiders and victory and restoration. And there's a formula that Solomon prays. And it's really interesting. You know, there's nothing wrong with formula praying as long as you fill it with meaning. And the formula that, that uh, he prays has three key words in it. When, when again, and then. All seven of these prayers have when, when, then. It's incredible. First of all, we won't have time to go through them right now because I want us to have prayer today. So, but each one of them says, it's like this. It says, oh God, when your people have sinned and forgotten you and you turn away from them and you spoil their crops or you send no rain or you send locusts or whatever, when this, your enemies, when this happens, and then the second when, and when they confess their sin or when they turn back to you, that's the middle part, he says, then hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. It's when, when, then, all the way along. It's interesting, and I love the fact that the fifth petition, verses 41 to 43, he's asking also for the outsiders. He's asking for foreigners. He's saying, and, and even when those people that are not Israelites, those that are not of you, Lord, when they, when they come... And when they seek your face, then will you also answer their prayer? Because why? Because verse 43 says the goal of it all is so that the, all the people, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name 
and fear you. This is an incredible prayer. We don't have time to unpack it. Solomon even prophesies the coming exile to Assyria and then to Babylon and how God's people will turn away and turn back. I want you to notice that in these seven petitions that they're very real. They're not sterile, airy-fairy praying. They are real, authentic praying. They are prayers that come out of messy places, prayers for provision and for deliverance and for restoration and for, for victory over sin. And If you go to God with a mask on and don't pray real prayers from out of the messiness of all your life living, you're missing the point. There's no point in faking it with God and keeping up appearances. Super, superficiality in the presence of God is like being terminally ill and the most important appointment you could have ever with a specialist is in town and you've got an hour with him and you spend the whole hour talking about last night's hockey game instead of letting him examine you. That's how foolish prayer is that doesn't focus on the messiness of life. The living God is attentive. He is waiting. You've got a, a meeting with him, and you're talking about what? So I'd like to invite the board to come forward. I'd like to invite several of you. In the conclusion of our service this day, let's come before this prayer-answering, promise-keeping covenant-keeping God. Let's come before Him with all the messiness. Let's come before Him with the family matters. Let's come before Him to talk about this building project. Let's talk to Him about the things that are in our church family. Let's lift up to God our concerns. Let's let the board lead us. I'll ask our moderator, Dave Wynn, to conclude with the prayer of benediction at the end, but I would ask you to join us, please. Just let these folks lead a bit, and then any one of you can be our voice, praying on our behalf to the living God. Let's pray together now. Father God, I thank you that you are in heaven, but you're also here amongst us. And I thank you, Father, that you hear our prayer. Those that are spoken and those that are unspoken, you know what's on our hearts and on our minds. And you know what, what we need before we ask. And Father, I pray that you'd meet us in our time of need and give us what we require. And Father, to, to help us to understand the difference between a want and a need, that we'd come to you for those things that are needful and to seek out your will in our lives, that we would be doing those things that are most important for us and for this congregation and for our community in this world. Guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. You are so good and you are so faithful and you have provided for us over the years, God. You have carried this congregation through and Lord God, we are just trusting that in the days ahead you will continue to lead us, that you will continue to um, help us discern what your spirit wants us to do, Lord that you would be in the midst of us and cause us to draw closer to each other so that we can reach out and, and impact the people that are in our lives and in our world around us. And we just pray that you would use us powerfully for that purpose, whether it's in this building or whether it's in the new property, Father, that, that we would not stop working for your glory.
Father God, we just come before you and we, we lean upon you. We lean upon you for your wisdom. We lean upon you for your strength. And God, as we, as we look to plans for, for the future of this congregation, of this church, uh, we just pray that we will completely be dependent upon you. Lord, let this new season of our ministry uh, be done in your strength, not in any of our strength, not in any of our wisdom, but completely reliant and dependent upon you. And God, we pray that you will lead us in unity to follow you, wherever that may lead us. We ask you for your guidance and your leadership in everything as we humbly come before you in Jesus' name. Amen.
O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all, all that you are, all that you have been, all the promises you have made, all the blessings that flow down, the comfort, the strength, and the love that just continues to pour down upon us. And I look to you, Lord, and I ask, how can I continue to stand before you and to serve? How can I lead forward? Asking your people to follow in the steps and in the pathway that you have put before us. Father, I put these people before you. I ask that you would bless them richly. That you would continue to speak to their hearts. To help them discern and understand your will for their lives. Not just in the pledge that we are asking for in the campaign. But in how they can grow closer. Becoming your children and continuing your presence to light up this world. Walk with us, guide us, take us forward, but most of all, Father, hear our worship, hear our prayers, and continue to use us unto your will and purpose. For I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.